Welcome to Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here on WKXLA and FM, streaming live over the interwebs at nhtalkradio.com, where our shows are archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're also a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. My co-host, Matt Robeson, writes for The Alternet, and he has a great blog called AmorePerfectUnionForum.com, where he takes us on a deep, deep dive into the dark underbelly of American politics and talks about all the stuff that people should pay attention to, but nobody ever thinks about. So we are really happy to have as our guest today, Cliff Schechter. And Cliff is an innovator in progressive communications, issue advocacy, and political analysis. He's a best-selling author. He wrote The Real McCain and went on to develop the original digital PR program for Every Town for Gun Safety, which is former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg's group that has made such an impact on gun issues and whose mom demand action gun sense candidate distinction award I just earned. Cliff's been an architect of similar efforts for the Alliance for Climate Protection, IBM's Smarter City Project, and many other progressive issues campaign. He's a columnist, a podcaster. He's got a podcast called The Unprecedented Podcast, and it's currently one of the hottest shows in iTunes. I don't know how well it competes with Off the Record with Robeson and Hodes, but Doesn't it's pretty well. hot. And late last year, he founded Blue Amp Strategies, which is already helping some of the most important candidates and advocacy campaigns to win this year and beyond. Now, Here's the most important thing about Cliff. He went to high school with my co-host, Matt Robeson, 30 years ago, where I am told, and my research tells me, that he was the star of his track team, it was before he started eating chili on noodles in Cincinnati, and he was a dominant force on the New York City athletic scene. So Cliff, welcome to Off the Record. Well, thank you for the glowing introduction and the memories of when I was a fit and faster Matt. Um, I remember those days with Matt. Matt was a skinny dude back then. Now I'm seeing he's all muscular and he's probably been hitting the, the gym. But, uh, you know, he was, I think you were a little more distance than me, weren't you, Matt? You were like an 800 runner? Uh, that's exactly right. I was, I, was middle, I was mediocre at everything. I was like the utility infielder of the track team. I was yeah, just a but, short guy who could sprint really quickly. Like I could start quickly. And then the longer the race got, the worse I got. So it was like a 30 meter race, which nobody ran, but there were, I'd be best at it. When, you know, to punish me, they make me run the 400, which is like 80,000 steps for me. And I'd almost collapse and die. Well, you know, these days you are right. Matt Robeson hangs out with Arnold. He and Arnold Schwarzenegger work out in the Amherst, Massachusetts oh. gymnasium. And Matt Robeson is now all bulked up. Every time you see his muscles, they pop through the screen. He's very, <laughs> very, big. Strong. Yeah, yeah. very strong. Very strong. I, I, that was actually Arnold's greatest moment was, was when he evaluated then-candidate Obama. And he says something to the effect of he's got chicken legs. He needs to get into the gym and do some squats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He needs to live well, more. What's the problem? Okay, sorry. So, so Cliff, let's start with the new company. We'll, we'll work backwards from there. I, I, I know you can't give away the names of your very impressive client list, but talk to us since it's political season and sure. everybody in New Hampshire is a political expert. So, so, so for point. those listeners in New Hampshire you're listening to, they, all, they, they probably know everything, but maybe they can learn a few things. Um, 
how do you go about crafting a winning message and winning strategy? I mean, you, your philosophy is aggression, integration, and amplification. Now, Whoa, I like my website. But see, what I like about that is, rep, is the repetition. Anytime you put three things together, it makes me happy. And when they rhyme, like aggression, integration, amplification, that makes me even happier. So what does it look like? How do you create see, you're a You're a writer. Formula? You know how this stuff goes, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, right. I remember, in fact, when I met you in your office, uh, you were a guitar player, if I remember correctly. So you clearly have a musical talent to you where you understand how these things, oh, is he reaching for his guitar? And by oh, the way, yeah, that, yeah. Matt didn't I, tell me that. It's totally on memory no, from, no. Uh, from obviously, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm a, I'm a mad, crazy guitar player. It's. I do. It's, I'm, yeah. So, so I remember you sitting down and playing the guitar. It was very impressive, and I was like, all right, somebody in Congress who actually is interesting. Um, so, um, how do we do it? Well, I, you know, to me, I think I've written columns before, as you mentioned, and and other types of communication. And people, human beings, we react to stories. And I think the mistake often on the Democratic side. Uh, has been that we think if we, uh, we, our ideas are better, which they are, and if science backs up what we say, which it does, um, that we will win just on the fact that we're telling the truth and, and sharing, you know, numbers and, and fact, that's not how people are, are, uh, are, that's not how we think, that's not how generations of humans, you know, before, uh, you know, before modern communications held, before language, you know, shared with each other, it starts with drawing pictures on walls and caves. And I mean, we, we, we communicate through stories. So uh, Greg Pinello and I, who is my, my business partner, that's the beginning of what our strategy is, is, is that first of all, um, you need to, to write something that is compelling, that will make people want to listen to what you're going to say next that is interesting. Yes, we want to share facts and figures, but if you don't share those within a story narrative, you're failing. You need to give context to those. Um, so that's where we begin. Uh, I would say, secondly, something that's important to us is understanding that, you know, and this is why our firm came together, in the modern media age, there's not the kind of division between what we would call earned media or public relations and paid media, which is more marketing than there was in the past. You know, if you have a great uh, piece that's covered on 60 Minutes, well, that you may, you may want to turn that into an ad. You certainly would love to turn that into, share that on Twitter and Facebook and other places. And then back in, in the other direction, you do a great ad, you're hoping that maybe the news picks it up and, and does a story on it that amplifies, you know, I mean, people forget that the Willie Horton ads, as evil as they were, were barely shown on TV. News amplified them. You know, the, the Daisy Girl commercial that hit Barry Goldwater was only shown once before it was pulled. It, it was the news media that amplified, and these days with social media and, and cable and everything, it can work out much more that way. So, my background was in public relations. You mentioned what I did for, for Michael Bloomberg when I, at Everytown for gun safety. That's a lot of where, you know, I'd come up with creative pitches for journalists and ideas. Greg's background, he was at the big PR, the big, I'm sorry, advertising firm and political consulting firm, GMMB, um, where he ended up doing ads for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and others. We thought, you know, if he thought about me, you know, if you can write in longer form, I bet you can write TV ads. And I thought about him. You can write TV ads, I bet you can put together pitches for journalists and write op-eds. And what do you know, luckily it, it seems to work. So that's where we came from, um, this integrated effort and understanding that creativity is important, but telling stories are important. Um, and you know, we can share some clients. There's one very big one out there right now that I'll come back on your show to talk about soon enough that I'm not allowed to talk about. But 
Um, you know, we're doing work with the, the AAJ right now, the trial lawyers, where we just put up uh, a, a, an ad that I'm really proud of in North Carolina in one of the targeted U.S. Senate races, um, pointing out the difference between our, our candidate, um, uh, you know, Cunningham and their candidate, Tillis. Tom Tillis is the incumbent and a bad person, and you should not vote for him if you're from North Carolina and hear this. So we, we try to use some of those strategies to point out in a visual manner with music, uh, you know, with the whole sort of story about who this guy is. And he's somebody who will cut your health care and thought it was, it was a good idea to cut the CDC a year or two ago, which turns out in retrospect was a really bad idea. Right. So, so one of the things that you specialize in, you know, obviously your partner comes out of a background that's um, a little more heavily weighted toward TV, which is, you know, the dominant mm -hmm. form of political communication in the latter half of the 20th century, now in the 21st century. But the changeover that we've really seen in the last decade is the emphasis on digital. I mean, the, the way we run campaigns is evolving really quickly. I, you know, look, back in 2008, 2012, Democrats had a distinct advantage in data uh, and the digital world. The Obama campaign was running laps. Right around McCain and Romney. Uh, now, with the exception of fundraising, it looks to me, and you're an expert in this area, but it looks like Republicans are very competitive, especially in the data, uh, the list generation uh, area. They may have pulled ahead in some ways. So what do you think it's going to take for Democrats to, uh, to, to win in this environment? Is it a matter of tactics in the digital world? Is it a matter of message and the kind of storytelling that you specialize in? Is it an integration, as you say in your slogan, uh, of those things? Um, what's sort of the secret sauce there? You know, it, it's interesting. I think may, and maybe if, if Paul, although Paul might have to give up some, some uh, conversations he might not want to, um, probably, you know, could give some insight, probably sitting with some folks from the DCCC, I'm sure, back when, when you were in Congress and 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 other races um, that you ran. The, the thing that why we fell behind in 16 is it seems to me that that Democrats are more small C conservative, as in we're cautious. Um, it drives me crazy that that it seems like it, it, part of it seems to come from the arrogance of our ideas actually work and are better. And we're going up against people that are all sort of one flim flam marketing campaign that don't know how to govern. But part of it, it seems like we've been in this defensive crouch since Reagan, like scared that oh my God, we don't know how to talk to people. And when you're scared, you don't know how to talk to people, guess what you do? You fumble and you don't know how to talk to people. As opposed to having the confidence of, well, of course we know how to talk to people. You know, we're a party that's made up. I mean, it's this right-wing stereotype. It's funny, but let's be honest. You know, we do get a lot of support from Hollywood. They write stories for a living. Um, we, we do get a lot of support from trial lawyers. I just mentioned I was hired by the, the group that runs them. What do they do when they stand up in front of a jury? Do they just cite facts and figures? Do they tell a story? They understand that the jury is made up of people, humans, flesh and blood. Um, and so I, I really do feel like this is a problem even digitally where, you know, we got to a point where it was like, Hillary can't lose to, to Donald Trump. I'm not, you know, I'm not criticizing individuals. I just think there's this arrogance in 2016. Like, we don't need Facebook. Like, oh, look, they're crawling around on Facebook trying to do this targeting or whatever. Like, look at Trump's a joke. And yeah, he is a joke. But the thing is, is that in this country, in our current atmosphere, jokes can be sold to people and bought, um, even for president of the United States. And when we let them, so, you know, I, I would argue that at least from what I've seen, Matt, that we have gotten better since 16. And it's not that we didn't know what to do. It's that we weren't implementing it. And now we've realized, my God, you know, we do need to target individual groups. We can't take people and groups for granted. Um, we do realize we're telling, uh, we have to have a broader narrative about what our campaign is about so people can summarize it and you know, say, 
I'm, I want to vote for you for A, B, C, and D. But within that broader narrative, there need to be some individual stories that you may want to tell to different groups. If you're out in Arizona, you, may, you probably want to be talking to Mormon men. You probably want to be talking to Native Americans. You certainly want to be talking to the Latino, Latina community. Suburbanites in you know, huge suburbs of, of Phoenix. But you know, if you're sitting here in Ohio, well, suburbanites are still a hugely important group. And I live in Cincinnati. We call them in, in Ohio the three C's are the biggest cities, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, where you've got the larger suburbs. But you know, there, there are these smaller town suburbs that have certain other concerns up on Lake Erie where you can't swim in the water because you get these algae blooms in the summer. They want, they want, yeah, disgusting. I know. And I saw Matt's face. I had to, well, yeah, you want to be talking to people that are genuine, generally conservative, but they're like, my kids can't swim in the, in the darn, I was going to say something worse, but I know this is not my podcast. It's yours in the darn water anymore. Um, and, and that's an issue to them. You want to speak to farmers out West who were told, you know, Trump's on your side and then he, these ridiculous trade war that he's conducted that, that, is, that has decimated them. You want to talk to folks in the, you know, in the area of the Lordstown plant where Donald Trump stood there and said, buy your house, put down your money, invest, don't worry about it. You, I guarantee you these jobs are coming back. I guarantee you that we're holding the plant here. Yeah, not so much. Um, so you have your broader narrative, sure, about, you know, and we do this, I want to do this in advertising, I want to do this in digital. I also want to do this in every way you communicate from, you know, direct mail to, to you know, bat signal or, uh, you know, carrier pigeon. I don't know, whatever you're, which is, you know, saying overall that, that uh, here's the broader narrative. Here's what we're about. This should appeal to a vast majority of people if you're doing it right, or at least a majority. But individual groups have individual concerns. And we need to be speaking of those two, and they need to fit within that narrative. So if well, I, I don't know, I hopefully I've made some sense here. Well, what you need is you need an emotionally resonant messaging, and it needs yes. to feel personal to the people who are, that you're talking to. And you got to talk with authenticity. And by the way, it helps if it's true and real. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. And Democrats. Right. It's are, not enough to just say that Trump, Trump is terrible. You have to explain why that matters to you, right? Like why, why it matters to the, to the recipient of the message. Trump's terribleness, you know, it's, it, it's a head turner. But how does it hurt you in your life? That's what, that's what makes it relevant. So listen, let's take a, a break so that we can hear from all the good folks who keep the station on the air. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL. We're talking to Cliff Schechter, who has a company called Blue Amp Strategies. He's a smart ex-New Yorker who's looking for bagels in Cincinnati and helping <laughs> Democrats and progressive groups become victorious. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. We're back. It's off the record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find all our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes, and we are talking to a podcaster and a strategist and a writer and an ex-New York track and field star, a friend <laughs> of Matt Robeson, a former colleague in high school. Cliff Schechter is here talking about what it takes to win 
in 2020 for those who go blue on the blue side of the equation. So let's talk about your podcast. Now, you've had a run of just incredible guests. I mean, incredible, especially recently when you had my very own co-host, Matt Robeson, as your guest on your podcast. And the I top know one. that he was number one. I, know, I mean, it must be like shutting down the internet, that show. <laughs> anyway, I know he was great, but an even more prominent recent guest was Mary Trump, the author of Here's Everything That's Wrong About Donald Trump, and I'll Tell You Why, Because I'm a Psychologist. Um, so that was an amazing interview. And I recommend to all our listeners that you go and you check that out on the podcast, which is called the Unprecedented Podcast. Not unprecedented, unprecedented. That's not with a Z. That's un-P-R-E-S-I-D-E-N-T-E-D. Unprecedented. So check that out. Uh, and subscribe to the prod podcast. So what stuck out most to you about that interview? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying all, all those kind things. And, you know, we'll thank Donald Trump for giving us the name because when he once tried to say unprecedented and said unprecedented, and I was like, oh, double entendre there, you know, can't mm -hmm. spell uh, at all. And also we'd like to unprecedent him. Um, Mary Trump, actually what stood out is, is how normal she was. Um, you think Trump family, you don't think normal in any sense of, of, of that. In fact, I don't know if Matt watched the interview or not, but was, you know, I bring up Matt for that because what was interesting is beyond the, the just criminality of that family, just the sort of wealthy, over, overly wealthy New Yorkers that we went to high school with is not always, it's not normal. Um, even if it doesn't, even if you're someone who is an honest and good person, it doesn't tend to create that. And she just was so down to earth. She kind of rejected every, a lot, everything our family had kind of stood for. And she lived in Boston for a while. And when people would ask her if she was related to, the, to Donald Trump even before he was president and everything, she would be like, no, different. Um, because she just didn't want to be known for it. So that's what I really enjoyed is that is, is that was part of it as she was down to earth. And part of it was there was no bitterness in what she was saying. In other words, she wasn't angry and bitter. And you certainly could be. I mean, Donald Trump cut her and her brother, who's special needs and really needed health care, off of health care during their fight over um, the estate of her, her late grandfather, who, uh, you know, the, the, the other members of the family had cut her father out of the, uh, out of the will. Her father sadly died from, from a heart attack and had a long bout of alcoholism. And, you know, there is a lot of family trauma there because, as she put it in her words, her grandfather is a sociopath, which helped create Donald, who we're now living with. Uh, so I would say those are the two things, down to earth. And I'd also, you know, say that um, uh, just in the manner in which there's no bitterness, she very much sort of recounted the stories and, and from her background as, as a psychologist, and, and told us her feelings, you know, and you could tell she was trying to do good, you know, maybe, maybe change some minds, not just, she's not settling scores. It wasn't about, you know, revenge at all. So speaking of the podcast, I mean, there's so much going on these days. It's just, there's a flood the zone aspect to the news. Um, and you've been talking really an incredible lineup. Uh, Paul wasn't kidding of guests on your podcast. So there's so many issues you cover. Um, what's the issue that's gone on recently that maybe we're not paying enough attention to? I'm going to give you a nominee in my mind, but tell me what 
if you agree or, or, or what else stands out to you. For me, we haven't quite paid enough attention to the fact that Russia paid bounties to kill our troops. Yes. And our president has rolled over, shown his belly, and completely abdicated any responsibility. Um, it's, it's the most breathtaking cowardice and treasonous conduct that I can think of by an American president. So, I mean, I, I'm making my case here. Is that what stands out to you? Absolutely. What else stands out to you? You, you don't, you, I mean, the, the, you made the case that I would have just made. I, I, I mean, it is incredible to me, and I guess I get it, because we have a pandemic that's now killed over 150,000 Americans and has largely been contained in places like Germany and France and, and other countries that, while not our size, you, you try to do the math per capita, and it's astounding how badly this administration failed and failed really just by not even trying. By saying, yeah, states, you figure it out. So, yeah, that, of course, that's going to lead the news. The horrific uh, murder in Minnesota, Minneapolis, by police officers, and all, all that's come out that a lot of us knew. I work with the Innocence Project here in Ohio. And so I've been hearing these stories now, and they've been affecting me for, for longer than this. And I'm, and I'm glad, so glad this is getting a hearing. And it has to, because we've never lived up to, we've never been honest about our legacy uh, that, that of slavery and, and Jim Crow and never you know, had the honest conversation that we need to have. But I will say still, even with all that, I mean, think about it for just a second, right? The intelligence community told the president of the United States, the commander in chief, that a foreign power was paying money to people to murder our troops, was incentivizing them as if they needed more incentive, was incentivizing them to kill us. And we know that at least one roadside bomb killed three Marines that they believe a payment was transferred to Taliban members where they, they made good on this. Um, and he's, he, he first, he said, it's kind of like what he does with everything he did with the coronavirus. It's been everything from it's a hoax to, uh, oh yeah, well, but there's conflicting reports. There aren't, by the way, um, till, you know, I mean, th the intelligence community has said in no uncertain terms, this, is, this has happened. And likely it's been fulfilled. We believe we've, we've traced money changing hands after this. I mean, let's just say none of the other stuff happened, that we didn't have this man, you know, you know, getting impeached but not convicted because of Republican partisans in the Senate for his conduct with Ukraine. Uh, we didn't have, you know, his conduct with Russia investigated by Robert Mueller, who found numerous cases of if he had been willing to do what I think a lot of us think he should have done, he could have indicted Donald Trump on. Um, and, and so even with all that not in existence, with no previous relationship with Russia that we knew of, if that, if that were the case, it's astounding. The murder of our troops, people that go and protect this country. And, and you know, Tammy Duckworth, former senator, lost her legs in Iraq, um, is, is been bringing it up. I think she's been counting the number of days since the report. And we're over 30 days now where he said nothing. But he keeps having numerous chances and he pulls the same stuff every time denies it, hoax, we're not sure. And in this interview with Axios he just did, he even came out and did what he did during the campaign that just got us, which is compared us to, to communist Russia. Well, you know, we, we armed uh, them when, they, when Russia went into Afghanistan. Uh, yeah, wow, well, you know, so much for American exceptionalism. You, in fact, don't have to even believe in American exceptionalism to believe America is superior to communist Russia of the 1980s. Um, and yet he's, he, the president of our country, the commander in chief is equating that. I mean, to me, that should be on asked by every reporter every time 
until this man issues the slightest word of condemnation towards Vladimir Putin. And it's what these kinds of, that, that thing, among other ways, that he just kowtows to Putin as he insults everyone else, including luminaries in his party. You know, former President George H.W. Bush when he was alive, former President George W. Bush, Mitch McConnell when he was angry at him, many others. That reminds you of, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that Putin has something on him. I don't know if Putin's offered him financial incentives for the Trump Tower of Vladivostok or whatever it might be after he's out of office, or maybe some combination of both, but something's there. I don't know what it is, but this man doesn't act normal when it comes to how a normal president would react to, you're paying people to kill my troops. You would be outraged, and yet nothing. So yes, I agree with you completely on that. I mean, there's other stories, clearly, because you know it's, it, it's never ending. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it, it's very difficult. We go through how we rarely go through a day without another funny, another cabinet member has been, you know, has been spending our money in some ridiculous way. I mean, that's a half dozen of them already that I, I think are under investigation, you know, for various things. It's, it's you know, or past ones, I'm counting them. It, it you know, rarely a day goes by when, when uh, there isn't some other ridiculous story about what the Republican Party is doing, how they were trying to they were trying to cut funding, you know, funds in this last bill budget, you know, for food, COVID treatment, all these things. But they wanted uh, more, uh, more funding for bombers and write-offs for three martini lunches. I mean, it's like they're a caricature. And a new FBI building. Yeah, and a new FBI building. There, I mean, and then you know, we, you know, out of nowhere, what would have been a scandal of all scandals in the past, Louis Gohmert, who who tests positive for COVID, who apparently according to his own own uh, staffers who anonymously told a reporter that he was forcing them in the office to take their masks off as he was forcing them to show up pres physically be present in office during this time when most members of Congress were like, don't come near the office. I mean, that, that he's trying to get people killed, you know? And, and so again, like, what are you talking, you know, we're, we're hearing about hydrochlorine again, you know, today. Hydrochlorine, I'm probably saying it wrong. Hydroxychlorine, I think that's it. I mean, you know, which is untested. And we know people have tried because Donald Trump has told them to try it. And some of them have actually died. Um, a couple in Arizona, one of them, I think the husband died from this. I mean, I don't know, you know, it could it be the neo-Nazi stuff <laughs> that he doesn't react, you know, that happens once a week he doesn't react to or sort of shrugs off, has no problem with. I mean, it's, it's hard to pick, frankly, Matt, because there's so much awful. Well, I, at the moment, I'm hacking your podcast. This is Comrade Vladimir. I must tell you, <laughs> Americans, you are so paranoid. You believe what you want to believe, but you could, I could show you my checkbook. There is no money being paid to Talibansky. I, no, my checkbook has nothing going to them. They're, they're absolutely blameless people just trying to protect themselves from American, American imperialism. But, uh, you know, my friend Donald, Donald and I take his thieves because that was in the, there is PP tapes. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no, maybe yes, maybe strong, maybe not. There is PP tapes and who knows what else there is for Comrade Donald. But I asked Donald, please, to remove the troops from Germany. Comrade Donald says, of course, Vladimir, what can I do? I'll pinch your nipples. Oh, well, I must go now because I've got to go and uh, pay more people to kill more American soldiers. But you Dos Vidanya. Yeah, you can look somewhere else uh, for all of that. And because let's not forget that, that right now, while this is a hot issue, 
the Trump administration, whatever we think about uh, excesses in the military budget, decided to pull a huge number of our troops from Germany, which is being interpreted as rolling over to Donald to, to Vladimir Putin and saying, "Scratch my big belly." I mean, it right. is it is un, just in geopolitical terms, it's an absolute crazy thing that is going on. So, yep. before we get too deep into another subject. Let's let's make our editors happy. Let's take <laughs> a break here, uh, and we will hear from the folks who are keeping us on the air. We will come back with more of Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here on WKXL. We're talking to Cliff Schechter, a strategist, a podcaster, uh, founder of Blue Amp Strategies, helping Democrats tell effective stories in order to get the message across that we really need a new president. We really need to have a, a majority in the Senate and the House for the Democrats in order to move the country forward. Cliff is doing great work. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Do not go away. Or as they used to say, don't touch that time. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robinson on WKXLA and FM. You're streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can also find our past shows archived. If you decide you want to binge listen to some of our past shows, you can find the, the summit between Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump right here at nhtalkradio.com. You can find Matt Robeson's very smart commentary about all kinds of things and wonderful guests from the past. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. And speaking of podcasts, we're talking to one of America's premier podcasters, Cliff Schechter who has a podcast titled The Unprecedented Podcast. And we know what unprecedented probably gave him that idea. He's <laughs> the founder of Blue Amp Strategies. He's a friend from high school of Matt Robeson who can outrun a jackrabbit still while he's living in Cincinnati and chasing down every bagel that he's missed from his Absolutely. youth. Absolutely, Cliff, welcome back to Off Thank you. the Record. So, um, let's see. Let's talk about guns. As a consultant and a columnist, uh, you have been one of the most prominent gun safety voices in our country for a long, long time. And uh, that was a much tougher fight uh, in some ways as recently as 10 years ago. I mean, yep. where this country is on guns, we're talking to you from New Hampshire, where we have open carry, where the Republicans, when they took over the House of Representatives said open carry in the House, people carried guns into the onto the House floor, dropping their guns from time to time. Thank God it didn't go off and uh, kill any of the uh, school kids. And now, things have really changed in, in our country. I mean, I know that my views have radically changed from the time that I was in Congress before, uh, before um, uh, the, 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 the scourge of gun violence, before this, right. this crisis really erupted with, 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 mass, with mass shootings. Um, it seems like there's been a real shift 
probably due in part to your efforts and the efforts of a lot of people like you. Do you see the same shift? And if there is a shift, what's causing it? And is there a hope for change? And, and is there some way to bridge the divide that the NRA has created in terms of the mental construct of you're coming for my guns and anything you do about gun safety and common sense gun reform is, is an attack on my constitutional yep. rights. What do you think? Well, let's start with, you know, I, I used to enjoy when they would try to dismiss me as, you know, oh, this city kid from New York City, uh, you know, doesn't know anything about guns and just wants to take our guns away. And I, I would, I'd get attacked by the NRA or others. And then I moved to Ohio and it was, oh, well, you're not, you're still not really an Ohioan. And then I'd have to point out, and I think you'll enjoy this, Paul, that I went to a, a camp in a, in a place uh, called Center Ossipee, New Hampshire. And uh, I was sent for six years while I was living in New York City for summers by my parents, where I have a bunch of NRA little, their little medals from that, because I was a competitive shooter on the rivalry team that would go and, and shoot regularly. Um, there's nothing wrong with enjoying shooting guns at targets and even hunting uh, if it's done safely. You know, that, that's not my thing, but if, if somebody, people enjoy hunting, I wouldn't be critical of that either. The thing is, is that the NRA tried to, is always done, you know, they're a far right organization. They, they kind of picked up on, um, let's call it sort of white nationalism before the Trump folks and the rest of the Republican Party got there and started playing this crazy anti-government, very sort of racist uh, narrative to their people because they're on the, it, it's not as much a divide as they're massively on the wrong side of this. It's, they try to make it like people like me hate guns and don't want anybody to own guns as opposed to who, you know, we require background checks for almost everything. I mean, we require, you know, you, would you have a babysitter, you know, watch your kids without knowing anything about them? I mean, who, who thinks it makes sense to give a gun to somebody without knowing who they are, what their background is, if it's the person's a murderer or a terrorist or any, I mean, it's just common sense, which is why 90 plus percent in New Hampshire, Ohio, everywhere else, support, it's one of the most things that's un most universally supported. You can't get 90% of people to support almost anything. And they support background checks. Post Newtown, Tucson, these other killings, and sadly the one um, in Florida, um, you know, you're, you're at a point where 70% support an assault weapons ban. Assault weapons, if you were to see, and I'm friendly with a couple of the parents from Newtown, um, sadly, I mean, sad, not sadly, I'm friendly with them of what they've gone through. They would, they purposely to come out and describe what their kids, their little children looked like after being torn apart by, by this, this kind of a powerful weapon. They're just, these are, again, these are assault rifles. They have no purpose on our streets. They need to be heavily regulated. I'm not saying nobody can have one ever, but you better have a good reason and it better be something where the, like what we have with machine guns, a law we pass, and by the way, you don't see people just walking around with machine guns because it works. Well, you heavily regulate and do background checks. So that's what my, I mean, if we would pass about a half dozen to a dozen sane laws on how we regulate guns, you know, there are two groups of democratic countries out there, I like to say. There are the ones like the United Kingdom, Japan, others that have decided they're just not going to allow gun ownership. I mean, it really is hard to own a gun in these countries. But there's a whole bunch of democracies, Canada, um, the, you know, the Scandinavian countries, uh, and others like that, Switzerland, where there is a lot of gun ownership, and yet they still have nothing approaching the gun violence of this country. Because they do everything that a common sense group of people would do that believes that gun ownership should be something that is legal, but it's legal in the cases where it makes sense for it to be legal, as in 
open carry is insane. Why would you, when you want a country that's based around free debate, honest debate um, over issues and free assembly, you're killing the first amendment by extending the second amendment to the point where somebody shows up to your honest debate with a gun. That's, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So let me, just, let, me just, yeah. let me just interrupt because recently in New Hampshire, there was a series of uh, Black Lives Matter rallies. And, and at the Black Lives Matter rally, one of the, one of the early ones, there was um, a group, a fairly large group in flak jackets and camo, camo gear carrying uh, assault uh, weapons, um, openly carrying assault weapons and mm -hmm. gathering, um, claiming that they were there to keep the peace, but clearly yeah. an intimidating presence. Presence. I called the mayor of uh, of our town in Concord, and he uh, texted me back. Well, what do you want me to do about it? And w what I said was, I want to see a real police presence out there. I want. I want local police. I want state police. I want those people contained. I can't, you know, I don't have any power to take away their, their assault weapons and prevent them from congregating with carrying those weapons in open, but they're not there to protect anybody. I want to see them treated like a danger, a potentially dangerous public health hazard, because if yep. something goes wrong and something goes off, it's going to be, there's going to be, you know what to pay. I want to see some real action. And I right. will just, for, for, I will say that at the next BLM rally, uh, there were significant police presence, uh, state and local, who were working, you know, clearly there to uh, contain that, that display of intimidating yep. aggression. I don't like it. It really doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the simple act of you're showing up with an assault rifle, that kind of a weapon, at, or, and holding it out in the open at a rally like that, it, just the act of doing that to me is a terroristic threat. I don't know how anybody can not consider that to be threatening people. That would be my opinion. I, open carry should not exist. Concealed carry should be heavily regulated to the point where you better put, it's not just background checks and that kind of thing. You need to put in hours on the range, which is another thing that state legislatures have secretly been doing. It's cutting the number of hours you need to prove that you actually know how to use a weapon, which is insane. I mean, but we do that when we make sure nobody, you know how to use a car uh, before we let you go out there and just you know, plow it into people. It, again, it, we, it's almost like all this sanity we apply to almost every other dangerous weapon or anything in our society, um, we eliminate when it comes to, to guns. And so, if we would just do that, and I'll, I'll say to you, you, I don't want to end this without sort of with a positive note, which is you asked about, are we changing? Well, absolutely. Because if you look at it, numerous states by, by you know, since uh, Moms Demand Action really started, Shannon Watts, who I consider a friend, has done an incredible job. You know, numerous states by ballot measure, Washington State, Nevada, others have passed universal background checks, numerous state legislatures, Delaware, um, uh, what do you call, um, most recently, Virginia. Illinois, others have passed more stringent laws, including background checks. And um, now we've got new um, extreme uh, risk protection orders, where if somebody is a danger, they, a, a gun can be removed and they've got uh, due process to get it back. And some of these states, bigger states, Virginia is the biggest one that Democrats took over Virginia. And we just passed a whole, so it's gone from being this crazy gun state to actually being one of the best. And so if we just get, you know, same folks elected, We'll be able to do that. I'll also point out the fact that, um, you know, in the after Newtown, people say, oh, well, we, if we failed then, we didn't fail in any sane country. We had 56 votes in favor of it. 
It just was a matter of that, that that wasn't enough with the filibuster. And so we need to rethink if we're going to let Republicans block any sane, you know, legislation um, with 44 senators when the analysis was done, when you figure that two of them came from South Dakota, a state of, the, you know, that has more cows than people probably, and North Dakota and Wyoming and whatever, that you've got 18% of the senators blocking what the other 82% would want. 18% of the, represent 18% of this country. That's ridiculous. So we're there. My, you have to change the culture always before you change the politics. It's been, I mean, when you, a lot of these suburban voters have been abandoning the Republican Party. This has been one of the top three issues they've been doing it over. Um, we're in a different place. And I think if you see, if we elect Joe Biden and we elect the Democratic Senate, um, increase our lead in the House, do all that. I don't even think we'll have to worry as much about states doing this, because I do. I think we'll pass national legislation on background checks, on gun trafficking, on a, an assault weapons ban, uh, and extreme risk protection orders, and these kinds of things. And you'll see, as you have in states that have done this, you've seen anywhere from a 50 to 70% plummet in gun violence once you do this. The thing that states can't do is they can't stop you from bringing a gun over the lines, which is why Hawaii is probably the best experiment in this. Stringent gun laws, lower gun ownership, by far the best record in the country in terms of gun violence, because you can't just carry a gun over the state line. So speaking of electing sane people across the country, I mean, you have clients and have done advocacy campaigns across the country. But as Paul alluded to, you're based in Ohio. Um, we had Ohio Democratic Chair David Pepper on our show a few weeks ago. We talked a lot about what's going on in that state. Um, and I think, we, you know, political observers know that Hillary Clinton's undoing was the Rust Belt trifecta in 2016. And the likeliest path for Joe Biden um, is to retake those uh, Midwest states. So given your extra expertise in the Midwest, um, how is it looking in the Rust Belt? Um, what, what does it seem like to your eyes? And are Democrats on track, not just Biden, but the entire ticket? Uh, are they on track to retake those critical states, the Wisconsin's, the Michigan's, the Pennsylvania's, and perhaps the Ohio's? Yeah, well, I'd say at this moment, and again, things can change as we know, absolutely on track to win all three of those key swing states you mentioned, Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, and Wisconsin. And I would argue right now, Ohio and Iowa likely too. Um, there was a poll showing us only down a few points each in Kansas, uh, a Trump internal poll released, you know, that got leaked in Kansas and another one in Missouri. I think a couple of things have happened that make it different than 2016. First of all, Donald Trump was this, this, you know, this like uh, this shiny new kind of like fun toy. You know, oh look at the stupid things he says, and look at how ridiculous he is. But we're losing jobs in the Midwest, and why not try something new? Because nothing is working. Because the Midwest has been pretty hard hit uh, by jobs going to other countries, free trade pacts, and the like. Um, and and now we've tried him, and we've seen coronavirus, and we've seen the police violence. Um, against African-Americans, and we've seen all the, the, the whatever he's doing with Russia, and we've seen so, much, so many of his failures, his incompetence, his cruelty, you know, uh, so that's one thing. A second thing I would tell you is they had a 30-year debranding campaign, as I, I would call it, against Hillary Clinton. They've been attacking her since about 1991 with every ridiculous, over-the-top conspiracy you can imagine. Not nearly as much time to do that to Joe Biden. They, they, they spent all their time on Obama while Biden was with them. And now, you know, that's another thing that, that, that they don't have the opportunity. And, and you know, and, and another issue, 
sadly, is sexism. I mean, let's just be honest here. You know, Biden is winning back white men, not just in the suburbs, too. He's wanting more white men without a college degree and a lot more white women without a college degree. And that's part of the story here in the Midwest, too. Uh, I have no doubt that if we're lying to ourselves, we don't believe there's some sexism in that, too. So, you know, I think all of those combined, I mean, look, I'm trying to think who said it recently, a pollster that put out a poll. And one of these polls we're talking about in Ohio, they just said, you know, in Ohio or Iowa, and they're just like, a lot of people that thought Trump was interesting before, they're just not listening to him anymore. They've tuned him out and said, you know what? We gave this a chance. This was, a, you know, an upending of the system. Why not? And look at where we are. The Lord's towns have not come back. We still don't have jobs. We just, by the way, today found out we had the worst quarter, you know, GDP. Uh, was it quarter or, or uh, I believe it was quarter, I think since the Great Depression. Um, so it didn't work. But now on top of that, we're, we're dealing with, with the coronavirus. And we're dealing with, do we know if our president's loyal to this country? I don't know, but we certainly don't like the way he talks to veterans. We don't like the way he treats people. Uh, I just think, you know, his whole act is, is run sort of thin. And so I would tell you that things can change. We all know campaigns. I mean, you know, I wish the presidential election were being held tomorrow. Um, it's not. And a lot of, we've got more time than I'd like between now and then. But if it were held today, I would tell you that I'd be about 99% plus sure that short of any kind of massive cheating beyond any scale we've seen in the past, not just the run of the mill Republican voter suppression, you know, but the kind of, of mass cheating, I would tell you that, that we'd win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. I put that at about 99%. And I tell you, I'd probably 80 plus percent sure we'd win Ohio and about 70 plus percent sure we'd win Iowa. And I think we'd even have a 30, 40% chance, you know, maybe of winning Missouri. So I just think we're in a, we're in a different place right now. He's discredited himself. Um, we'll have to see where it goes. And I do think Biden's appeal of being from Scranton, the fact that he refused to own stocks while he was in you know, the Senate because he believed it was unethical. There's something about him where people know he's actually an empathetic guy who's like them and actually likes people. You know, he may not have the soaring rhetoric of a Clinton or a Reagan or a Kennedy or an Obama, uh, but he's a, interpersonally, he kind of in this way, not in other ways, uh, but in this way reminds me of a George W. Bush. Not huge charisma, but interpersonally likable, where people just kind of feel like, yeah, I kind of like that guy. And so, especially in places like the Midwest. And so I think that that's something that Biden has going for him too. That was Cliff Schechter, the founder of Blue Amp Strategies, the proprietor, the podcaster, an unprecedented podcast, a smart guy, a friend of Matt Robeson. And folks, you heard it here. He's answered the question, what have you got to lose about <laughs> Donald Trump? And the answer is everything. Cliff, thanks for, for joining us on the show. Thank we really you. appreciate it. We had a great time, folks. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL. We'll be back with a short wrap-up after this. Don't go away. It's off the record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXLAM and FM Street Live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. Podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. Well, Matt Robeson, you dug deep this time. You went back to your high school roots and brought your fellow track star, Cliff Schechter, who's made quite a name for himself in Democratic and progressive circles. 
with his Blue Amp strategies, with his podcast, with his work for gun safety. Um, what a great, what a great guy who's done great work. Literally everyone I know from high school has surpassed me, but Cliff probably the most. Well, that's good to know, Matt, because uh, that sets a pretty high bar because you're a smart guy. I have to hand it to you. I mean, I, you know, I, you, you give me advice and I even follow it sometimes and I have for a long time. So that's saying something because I don't like to listen to anybody. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. Thank you to our sponsors who keep this station on the air. Thanks to all of you all around the globe who are listening to this either streamed at nhtalkradio.com or podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. We'll be back next week with another great show. Off the record, see you next week. Bye, folks. <laughs>